welcome to the Property Portfolio Podcast with Mark Stokes and Nigel Green. Every week we inspire and guide you towards success in the world of property development, mentorship and fundraising. Before we jump into today's episode, a reminder to join us at equacademy.co.uk where you can gain free access to hundreds of videos and templates to help you on your property development journey. Morning, Nigel. Good morning, Mark. How are you? Very well, thank you. Very well on this, uh, despite the weather, I think we should say. What a day, Jesus Christ. I mean, we've, um, yeah, we've, uh, we've travelled uh, far afield today, haven't we, Mark? So we um, yeah, quite early start, but uh, the weather's been atrocious, which... Uh, yeah, and it's nice, nice to get out, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yes, been let out. <laughs> Our family's been in self isolation for the last uh, last two weeks. So uh, as of Monday, this is the first time we've we've been out. So kids are back at school, and uh, everybody's happy. How is it, family? Right? Yeah, yeah, all good, all good. So, uh, yeah, and uh, another another busy week. Yes. Certainly in the offers and finding, and uh, lots of deals out there. Got to be selective. Yes. Yeah, yeah, a few, few opportunities have been presented, which is which is great. Um, I, th- I think there is. I think there's, there's a lot more opportunity coming through the pipe. Um, I'm sure everybody else is seeing that, but it's it's just you know it's keeping that DD to absolutely nailed on, and making sure that you know aspirational prices are requested. You know that we're only putting in really the reality. Yeah, that's really important. Otherwise, it will be. You know, it will be caught out at some point. Um, you know, through the process in terms of probably the valuation. You know, that's the main thing. Of course, that's what we're trying to defend against, isn't it? Yeah. So, so that simulate and anticipate that valuation. That's everything, isn't it? Absolutely. And you, you may notice. Yeah. You know, those of you who follow us uh, regularly every Wednesday morning at, at eight, you've probably got your porridge and your cup of tea there. Um, but uh, Nigel and I keep looking left and right, and the reason why is uh, we're actually in the same room together. Um, there he is. There we go. <laughs> we're here, and we're here because we've got a very special guest here. Say hello to Kevin. Hello, everyone. They're at my office today, so we got them to a special place, two metres apart, though. Yeah, yeah. social distancing. Yeah. So we're here, we're, we're, we're doing strategy sessions on, on SAS Alliance. And uh, so uh, Kevin, Nigel and I, uh, every now and again, we, we just take a day out and we look at the business. Sometimes you have to take two steps outside of the business to look in, look at those strategic relationships. And uh, yeah, so really looking forward to today. So if Kevin uh, Kevin and I, or Nigel and I, or Nigel and Kevin, we're looking left and right, that's, that's the reason why. So, well, we've got loads of people still joining. So, uh, yeah, good morning, Paul. Morning, Julia, Michelle, Simon, Patrice. Hi, everybody. So, um, you may recall uh, last week um, we started going through the promised model um, about raising funds and investor relations. And that was one of the uh, the top topics, um, the main two topics that I know you, you're so focused on, finding those deals, whether it be your first deal or scaling up um, your your business in property development, and it, and it is a business. Um, so, you know, finding those deals, and Nigel's taking me through a, a number series of, of those. Um, now we're talking about raising funds, um, getting you to a point of being investable, um, getting the right systems, processes, and a bit of inward looking as well at, at exactly what model you're trying to serve. 
And that's why we've come up with the, the promise model. And you've probably heard us talk about this for two or three years now. Um, so let me just go through very briefly the promise model, a quick uh, over, overview of where we got to last week. And then we'll dive straight in, Nigel. So the promise model, um, just write promise down the left-hand side of your page. P is for process. R is for returns. O is for options. M is for model. I is for investable. S is for security. E is for engagement. And D is for draw. So last week, we went through process, having the right uh, systems and, and process there. R is for returns, and we went through the type of returns that uh, uh, your uh, your economic model um, can create. Um, so we're going to go through uh, options this morning, and then we'll move on to model. Morning, Sam. Hope you're well. Um, we've got more and more people joining, so just a few hellos. Morning, Andrew. Oh, we've got lots of regular visitors. Anil, morning. Hi, Ash. Hi, Kathy. Kaz. Hi, Ed. Um, Dublin, um, and Matthew, Michelle, Natalie, Paul, Steve, oh, lots of people. So warm welcome to you all anyway. Hopefully you've got that uh, nice cup of tea, a steaming uh, cup of coffee and, and your porridge. So let's dive straight in and look at options. Now, you probably think I'm going to talk about purchase options, but I'm not. Um, when you're working with uh, potential private investors, they will be operating uh, their, their investments at, at anywhere along that, that curve, that risk and reward curve. There'll be people looking for returns at the uh, more at the bond market level at you know, one, two, three percent return with a very low appetite for risk. And that could be dependent on their maybe their age or their risk profile or the availability of their wealth and distribution. Right the way up to those who are looking for a 2025. 30% return on their funds, uh, a significant appetite for, for risk. So the conversations that you'll have over, over many, many conversations with people, and remember, we have conversations with uh, potential investors, we're having conversations with people, and uh, great, great open dialogue and find out what great looks like to them. And sometimes they might become uh, potential investors or private investors, but if you put the blinkers on and assume everybody is a, a, a potential investor, yeah, it's a pretty rough way to, to, to lead your life, really, um, looking people up and down and thinking whether they're good for a few quid. So uh, try and avoid that would be would be my, my counsel. So with options, um, having many different options in your armory um, that serve your economic equation, if you go skint, you're no good to your investors. So your investor needs to know that your model works for you and that it can work for you, that it's structured and serves you in the right way um, because you've got to be in the best of health to pass on that, that return, the security. Um, you know, Kevin, who's, who's sat beside us here, Kevin's really passionate about those multiple returns. You know, you've got to get that return of your investment before you get the return on your investment. Um, so making sure that you can sustain your economic equation. So what are your options? Um, you might have a working capital loan note into the company just on the strength of a contract. 
you might have a, a loan into a business with a fixed interest. And sometimes you'll hear the word coupon used. Um, it's, it's just another word for uh, interest rate, really. A fixed, fixed coupon or a fixed interest rate are pretty much the same thing. It's just uh, just the, the term, the vernacular. Um, so you could have use a debt-based model, and that might be 8%, 10%, 12% um, per annum. Um, or is it uh, is it over term? So you define what those uh, what those particular terms are. Um, you might also uh, move into more equity based models, um, and the, uh, the, the there's a, a higher potential for risk and also return in that. That could be a profit share model as well. So having those different options, if you've got an array of options there, um, then potentially you're saying saying no in a diplomatic way to investors as few times as possible. You know, what, what basis would you invest in typically? Is it debt? Is it equity? Is it uh, over a one-year term typically, or is it over a three to five or 10-year or term? Uh, Nigel and I are in, in the process of investing into a high-tech company at the moment. And that's going to be a, a long-range investment, isn't it, Nigel? Definitely, definitely, absolutely. And I think it just creates that mixed portfolio, doesn't it, Mark, as well? And, you know, it's uh, really quite exciting, that one, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, it's a different different spread there. And we're spreading our risks. And we're also spreading our re- return on time employed. You know, we're, we're busy guys and we've only got so much time to allocate to... Uh, to certain investments, so so that one is is very much a, a hands off investment for us, isn't it? Yeah. So have different options. Um, if I'm an investor and you're having a chat with me, and you immediately offer me an investment memorandum for a debt based investment, I might turn around to you and say, "Well, actually, I'm not interested in debt. I'm interested in equity." All of a sudden, that's a binary conversation if that's the only uh, investment option you've got. So you could have an option of debt into your company as a working capital loan note. You could have debt into a specific project, which might have a different level of security. Um, You could have profit share, you could have equity, different types of structures. And that's O for options. Uh, M, model. Now, this is where we do get into the specific structuring. Now, we could do a whole session. We could do a whole two-day course on this one, to be honest. Um, But the the type of model here, firstly, it's what is your economic equation? Okay, what makes you tick? Um, What are you looking for? So an example that uh, we've been helping some mentees over the last few weeks um, structure some of their deals. They've got their either first or or second development. Um, Someone to buy, develop and sell and someone to buy, develop and hold. Now, if you're looking at buy, develop and hold, but you decide to go for a profit share, let's say on a 50-50 model, that's going to be pretty difficult to hold, um, hold that development when you're parting with a 50% of of the profit return. You might want to look, as long as you're confident that you can handle the fixed cost um, of uh, of a debt-based structure, accept there's a slightly higher cost base, but you retain 100% of the profit or equity at the end, which you can then convert into the the retained units. And so that's a a classic case. It is, absolutely. 
Okay, so so having that that right model, the right model that serves your purpose. Okay, if you're not serving your purpose, then quite frankly, you're not serving anybody. Um, so make sure it's the the one that um, serves your game. Start with the end in mind is is a great phrase. I think Nigel and I learned that probably twenty years ago. Um, what is the end goal that you're looking for? And sometimes you have to check your stride. You know, circumstances do change. Um, so from a strategic perspective, again, just take that one step back every now and again. You know, are we heading in the right direction? But make sure your investment structure is there and suited for your for your economic equation. Then once you've got that structured, you then have to look at, am I best serving the needs of the investor? Can I create a structure that creates the uh, the capacity? Is it attractive enough in the market? Um, can it enable the array of benefits that uh, my potential investors are, are looking for? So, for instance, if we had a um, if we had a, a system where uh, a, a development model where we've got a fundraise for you know x hundred thousand pounds. And we're looking at a 4% fixed interest per annum loan note. Now that might serve our needs, but it's going to be, we're going to be searching high and low for a long time to get uh, fixed interest loan notes at 4%. So great, great return um, for, for the developer, but quite frankly, you're just not going to get the volume there. So it's finding that, that blend there. And we're seeing generally between 8 and 10% would be would be the norm for. For those that have got the the evidence and track record um, and can demonstrate not only that they've they've done projects or started projects, but also that they've exited projects at the end as well, you know, evidence is everything. So that's the that's the you know the model having your models. There's very much two models here. There's one at a personal and company level. Okay, that model is, is not just making sure your business is successful, but your business needs to have that right economic model. Is it serving you? Um, and for the mentees, most of the mentees now will have been through um, the plan that we asked them to go through, looking at what is your what is your income? Is it is it through uh, dividends from shareholding? Is it through salary? Is it through um, are you getting remuneration into your into your pension scheme? And we're here with Kevin and SAS Alliance and the great work that wealth builders do. You know, this tax efficiency is just so important. Um, so really must uh, must focus on that. So it starts with you. There's also your company, then your individual development. And once you've got that very clear in your own mind, then creating very powerful investor experiences uh, and investment opportunities um, becomes incredibly insightful. Good. Okay, so that's that. That's the model. Now, investable. Um, you need to become investable. Investable in whose eyes? Well, obviously, in the investor's eyes. Um, now, typically, um, the investability um, will always start with um, the individual. To be honest, um, you know, if, as an investor. If you're, um, if you don't like that experience, you don't like the touch points, you don't like the relationship. Um, maybe the uh, the social media experience. You know, if people are ranting and raving all the time, um, highly emotional. You know, they're they're spiking up and down. Um, you know, is that 
is that the type of person you want to have a relationship with um, during a, a development? Uh, developments rarely go smooth. If the last six or seven months hasn't taught us that, I don't know what, what will. And, you know, from time to time, you have to jump in the trenches, put the tin hat on and, and fix bayonets. And, and you want a party who you can work together with in a relationship uh, who's calm, even keel, um, who absorbs pressure in, in their own way and converts that into positive energy, not turn it into a blame culture or a, a ranting, raving culture. So it does tend to start with your personal personal qualities. Are you comfortable with the the individuals and many of our investors we, we meet face-to-face for that reason, uh, don't, don't we? We do. We do. You know, sometimes we, we have come across people that, um, you know, are probably not right for us, to be honest. And, um, you know, we've had to say no in a very nice way, but we have said no, you know, and it's, it's important to get those, those people around you. It's the same with teams. Uh, let me just put myself on mute. Um, you know, and um, with, with teams and, you know, you have to get great people around you. You can achieve amazing things if you can find the right people, the, the right chemistry there, et cetera. But, you, you know, we, we find that without... Uh, a mentee group as well, Mark, don't we? That um, you know, as people you know, put themselves forward, want to get onto the room. You know, we're, 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 we're not, you know, we're not selling. We we want to make sure that that person is the right fit for, for everybody else. else. You know, we have fortnightly sessions, don't we? And um, it's, it's really important that the chemistry is right. Everybody feels very protected in their in their environment, and they can freely freely ask questions as and when they they want to. And um, yeah, very, very important. So, you know, from a venture perspective, from a team, team building perspective, and also an investor perspective, it's, it's all very relevant. Yeah. And, 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 and asking the questions, questions. Nigel's got a, a great phrase. Uh, what does great look like to you? Uh, and ask that question to, to be honest, everybody you meet. Um, why wouldn't you? you know, it's, it's, it's a great way of. Uh, enjoying your life, meeting with very inspiring people from all different eclectic array of uh, backgrounds. You know, we see that in SaaS Alliance, you know, who is a SaaS relevant for, well, it's not just property people, it's the broad spectrum of people in business and life. And mm. it's uh, it's phenomenally powerful when you see the the level of experiences, um, backgrounds and careers that, that people have got. Um, and that, that's, that's just wonderful. So what does great look like to you? Um, maybe people are looking for more of an experience. Maybe they're looking to learn. Quite, quite often we work with people who want to be property developers in the future, might be in the next one, two, three years. They're probably not ready just yet. Maybe they've got a very, uh, a very demanding uh, career, you know, a full-time role, which they love. Um, but maybe to look at giving themselves more options and, and to exit that career in future years. But they've got some funds they would like to invest, but they would like that experience of, of being mentored by, by Nigel and I for the next year, 18 months, and, and just gives them a, you know, a great bit of uh, confidence, knowledge, uh, experience, you know, looking over our, our shoulder at uh, some of the challenges. So they're going in there with, with eyes wide open. Um, and we've had those relationships for anywhere from one to, to four or five years. I mean, we've been mentoring people since the late 90s in 
from a business leadership perspective. Um, so seeing, so seeing that, that those different, different uh, responses. responses. Um, now, one thing I would say from an investability point of view, and you can only learn this uh, just by the way it happens, really, through through experiences. All this, and this, write this one down, this is a real top tip and, and can really be the, the difference between uh, you know, just having a, an investor once and then starting the whole process again. Your investors come from a massive background. They, they've got a huge array of skills and experience. Why not treat, treat them with the respect that their business experience uh, has? And, and ask their opinion, ask their counsel. They've got a few quid to invest, probably because they've been successful in what they've been doing. Now, that could be in business, that could be in medical profession, they could have highly experienced skill sets. One of our high net worths is a, uh, an ex-hedge fund manager. And had numerous conversations um, this, this individual doesn't do the pictures, you know, wants to be straight into the detail, the spreadsheets. Um, and we'll debate and discuss various parts of any investment memorandum or indeed any investments. They're invested in, I think, four or five of our developments at the moment. Great relationship. Um, and we're always very open to constructive feedback. In fact, we love it. That's the way we evolve and move forward. And... Um, yeah, that, that individual is particularly yeah, on the front foot with that, isn't it? Very much so. You know, and over the years, it's been absolutely valuable just in terms of the creation of um, the various analysers that we've got, you know, how we, how we analyse deals, how we present uh, the fiscal side of those deals as well. And the DA has gone through a number of variation and iterations, hasn't it? Just by bringing investor feedback into the DA. And that's just a really cool thing, isn't it? That you can, you know, that investor then looking at the next deal and going, oh, blimey, you have listened to what I've, I've said and you have incorporated it into your, into your DA. And it's, yeah, it's just great. And as you say, Mark, you know, you know, all of our investors have been hugely successful in, you know, whatever they've done because they, they have this, they're in this position of being an investor, aren't they? And, you know, and, and you've just got to respect that and really understand, um, you know, where, where they can add value into, into our business. So it's really good. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um, and apologies for the echo and the feedback. So uh, when either Nigel or I aren't talking, I hadn't got myself on, on mute there. So apologies there. Um, so, yeah, wonderful feedback. And imagine that experience when you next go to meet um, your your private investor, show them another investment memorandum that they've expressed some interest in. And they go through and they look at page six and they see, hmm, thought we had a chat about this last time on page six. And I say, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we, we really took that to heart. We debated it. And we decided actually that's, that's really beneficial. So we've made some changes. And to reflect it, all of a sudden, they feel almost invested in that I am straight away. They can see that they have made a difference. They have contributed. And everybody wants to invest typically in somebody who's humble, who will take on constructive feedback. Um, so there's a little bit of, of advice for you. Um, a bit like uh, your corporate brochure. Um, your corporate brochure, uh, rather than send your corporate brochure out to everybody, 
uh, again, a little top tip that many of our mentees are doing at the moment with, with to great aplomb. Um, when you've worked so hard, you've created your, your, your company brochure, rather than send it out, just email it to maybe 10, 20 uh, of your, your close friends in business and ask them for their feedback. I appreciate you being in business for 20 years. You've got a background in business development and marketing. Would really appreciate if you could just offer a two or three bullet points of any, any constructive feedback on the brochure. Now, that is almost guaranteed to get somebody uh, looking through that brochure and finding some constructive feedback. And you might get some feedback on a typo or some structuring or something uh, more broad. But the point here is those 10 or 20 people will have actually read your brochure in detail um, because they know, like, trust you, they respect you, and they're providing that feedback. And I can't begin to tell you how many times people have then come back to us and said, yeah, here's some three bullet points, you know, page nine, page 13, page 12. Um, but I was, uh, I, I was, as I was reading it, I'm really interested in what you guys are, are trying to achieve. You know, maybe we can have a coffee at some stage. So it's that kind of, for those of you who maybe aren't comfortable with, with selling or overtly marketing, there are different ways that we can help. Um, to enable you to get your message out in the right way that's right for you. Um, there isn't one one size fits all here. So that's worked very effectively over the years, hasn't it? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, yeah. I, I think, you know, reiterating, reiterating what you said, Roy, right that, that, you know, these processes, you know, finding opportunities, you know, analysing things, going through the appropriate due diligence around those deals, can never be done in isolation. We've got to also be, you know, dealing with proper investment side of things. They're almost you know, wheels are turning. It's almost like clutch weights for those that don't understand how how a clutch system works. You know, they've got to be rotating in all speed. And then at some point, when the deal drops, the opportunity lands. They come together. You've got your private investors ready to go. You've got your deal ready to go. And uh, just hugely, hugly important. So it's um, yeah, it's, it's great work as well. We've got, we've got uh, we've then got a mini asset. We, we talk, we talk about the sorry, another point on the feedback there. Um, we talk about mini, we talk about assets a lot. You know, we're we're constantly putting in uh, assets. You know, one bed apartments or three bed semi detached houses. Constantly just dropping those in our portfolio. Um, they don't get a huge amount of recognition. We don't really talk about them too much on social media. It tends to be the bigger developments that get the press. Um, but think also of the mini assets, your your brochure. Yeah, we've got Kevin sat here, whether it be your 10 pillars document, whatever whatever structure you have for it. And that, that's one of the best models we've seen. Um, you can then create... Uh, other mini assets. Uh, a lot of that information is going to possibly throw th- flow through to your investment memorandum. Um, the actual structure, the investment structure, having a, a, a documentation suite. So when an investor says, yes, I am interested, how do I move forward? You've actually got a flow process. Um, having that conversation on, on Monday with with one of our investors, so that all of those processes, that flow chart of what happens, how do we get in contact? The AML, the KYC, lots of an acronyms there, but we can go through those uh, uh, with you at, at another stage. 
um, you know, the anti-money laundering, the proof of funds, any non-disclosure agreements, what the documentation suite looks like. Um, and when you do your first investment, your first uh, development and, and looking at attracting investment, um, that's one of the hardest challenges. Um, so making sure you're prepared for when that first yes comes, that you can then put people into a, a clear process that they can see makes sense. A little bit of a top tip that we use here. Um, some of you, quite rightly, may be quite uncomfortable uh, asking a a private investor who is saying, yes, I would like to invest, uh, querying their proof of funds. Imagine saying to an investor, you've had a number of conversations and coffees and are now ready to invest, let's say £100,000, and you're now saying, okay, we need proof of funds, and I also want to know the audit trail of how you got those funds. Um, can I have a copy of your bank statement? Even a bank statement isn't necessarily proof of origination of funds, um, that can be a pretty a pretty tough conversation to have. So a, a top tip in this scenario is work with a solicitor. Um, work with your solicitor, get a great solicitor there, and then you can say to the, uh, the private investor, I'll hand this part of the process over to my solicitor. I'll be there, I'll be copied on every, uh, uh, every email, but they will then ask you for certain information in terms of, know your clients, the certified ID, uh, anti-money laundering and, and uh, origination of funds. Uh, everyone trusts a solicitor and it just creates that one step away uh, disengagement um, uh, and enables them to share information because they, they, they will share information with solicitors but probably reluctant to share a personal bank account uh, statement with yourself. So just different ways of, of handling it. Um, and if you can intercept that, rather than have that as a solution to a problem they raise, then you're on the front foot. You're you're being aware. And in fact, you could say, look, you know, not everybody wants to share this information with me. And quite frankly, I don't really need to see it. The, the, the funds will be going into the solicitor's client account. And solicitors are governed um, by quite extensive legislation on how they manage their client account. So they need to know proof of funds, origination of funds and purpose well before the funds ever comes in. So you never want to have a situation where your private investor puts funds into the solicitor's client account and your solicitor then has to send the money back to them. And that has happened. You know, we've seen that happen. Not We haven't experienced that because we've got a clear process, but for other people, you know, that, that certainly has happened and uh, that can be quite frustrating after all that hard effort. So that's investable. Um, S in the promise model, uh, security. What level of security are you going to offer? What level of security can you offer? You know, what can't you? Um just writing um, a new book, and there are at least 11 very commonly used types of security, and we've got a whole chapter on security and security trustee in the Property and SaaS uh, Secrets book. Um, so from a security perspective, you need to look at what your model is, what your structure is, how you're bringing in potential, say, bank finance, who's going to take the various uh, ranking um, security there, um, what all investors will want to understand what order uh, things happen. Um, a lot of people focus on the way into a development. 
this is this is how you invest into the development and they're the returns. But what they miss is the steps walking out of the deal uh, at the end. Now that can happen from a negative perspective. Uh, and you do need to run through that process in a default situation. If it all goes pear-shaped, this is the order of events that happen. Okay, that's, that's, I'd be really open about that. might be unlikely, but you're always showing the investor that you accept that there are risks in every investment. Um, and again, if you're volunteering that information, it's better than, than asking the question. Um, so, and, and also with the development going very well, you know, once units are sold or, you know, how does the, the security get relinquished and the returns uh, flow back? So what, what type of security can be, can be offered? Well, security comes in many different forms. Um, the most basic form of security is, is the contract. Nothing more than that is, is a contract. That would be the most basic. I agree to loan you £100,000 at X percent for a period of time. Always make sure when you've got a loan agreement in particular um, that there is always a, a default interest rate, a default provision there. Um, the security under a, a contract, you know, if there is a default under contract, what happens? Well, you get sued under the contract. You know, you go through the, the legal system um, to, 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 to reclaim. So that's a, a relatively low level of security, I, I think we'd all agree. Um, so understanding exactly what that looks like, uh, how that's structured. Um, if, the, if the loan is over, say, £100,000 um, over 12 months, let's say, um, what happens at 12 months if the loan isn't, uh, isn't paid back? Well, again, that's for you to, to discuss with your investors. Quite often what happens, you know, if the interest rate is, let's say, uh, 8%, um, if the loan isn't paid back at 12 months, um, then there'll be a default interest rate, and that might be, let's say it's double, let's say it's uh, 16%. And that default interest rate will run for a period of time. Um, let's say that's, that's for six months. Um, and then uh, the end of that default interest rate, um, you can have escalations over that period. So, you know, it holds the, the party's feet closer and closer to the fire. Um, you can, um, you have to draw a contract to a close and any contract can't become open-ended. Um, and that would typically be a, called a long stop date. And that long stop date in this case would be, say, 18 months. So you have your core interest, 12 months. And if it's not paid back, there is a twelve, uh, a six-month um, uh, default interest rate, which would be quite punitive rate and quite rightly so because the, the, the quantum of funds hasn't been uh, loaned back. Uh, and then we hit the long stop date and then we're into the judi judicial system potentially. Um, always always have conversations with your investors keep them up to date you know the, it's got to be no surprises for everybody okay and, and this year you know, there's been lots of challenges there you know communicate over communicate so security ranges from the contract uh, personal guarantees um, personal guarantees are always an interesting one joint and severally liable um, Make sure as, uh, in, in the structure you, you bring about that your investors 
don't have to provide personal guarantees. Imagine a structure where your investor puts in funds, is a significant shareholder in your SPV, and the bank want personal guarantees, not just from the directors, but also from significant shareholders. Now, your structure could have brought that situation about. So that's the law of unintended consequences. So I'd certainly be looking at that. And, and so you're walking a mile in the investor's shoes. So if the investor says, no, I would like more percentage of security, a shareholding, for instance, then you can say, well, look, the reason why the structure is is so that we don't have to ask for personal guarantees from the private investors. And I don't know many private investors who will sign personal guarantees. That's generally not what they're, they're looking for. Um, generally, most developers are bringing in first charge finance, you know, senior debt, you know, the banks, and they will almost certainly take a first charge security uh, on, the, uh, on the assets, on the, on the property that's being loaned on. Um, if you look at walk a mile in the bank's shoes, you know, what is their security package? I mean, generally, it's three things. Number one, it will be the security on the assets, asset-backed finance normally. Um, so they'll take first charge on the property. Um, they generally want to take first charge security on the company as well, and that's called a debenture. Um, so that will be a, a debenture first charge, float, first floating charge, if you like, on all the assets within a company. But Mark, I hear you say, we've got an SPV, a special purpose vehicle. It's a limited company. It's set up for the whole singular purpose of doing that development. And you'd be absolutely right. Absolutely right. And that's why quite often we have SPVs. There's no track record. There's no background. There's no three-year-old insurance claims because somebody fell over and uh, uh, and hurt their ankle or something. You know, it's a clean title company. And that is, is really important from the bank's perspective. But there's no other assets in, in there apart from the property. But there is. What other asset can you think of that is in an SPV? I'll give you a moment to think about that. I don't know whether anybody could think about that in the chat box. No. Okay. So one other asset, people, somebody said, IP, yeah. you, me. Okay. So, yes, um, all of those are, they're, they're resources there and they are assets. The main asset outside of the individual property will be cash in the SPV's bank account. And that could be a significant, depending on the timing of, of a default situation, that could be quite a significant amount of cash. The bank has, you've drawn down a tranche of funding from the bank for let's say a one month valuation, and you're just about to pay the main contractor, make sure you've got aligned terms in the contract. And um, you're just about to pay the main contractor and then the business goes bust. At that point, you know, you've you potentially could have a hundred thousand pounds or you know a big a big chunky sum in the SPV bank account. So I'm using that, I'm being a little bit dramatic, but you can see there are different assets here at work, and, and cash is an asset, um, and and that would be in the debenture. Um, 
there's one other reason, I'm just conscious of time, this will be the last point here. Um, there is one other reason why the, uh, the bank almost certainly will want a debenture first charge on the, on the company. Because if they've got a debenture, nobody else has. Imagine the complexity if an investor has a debenture on the company, but the bank has a first charge on the asset in the company. Can you imagine the legal bun fight um, if there's a default situation there? So, uh, and the third part, so, so that was first charge on the asset, first floating charge or a debenture on the company. And the third thing that the bank are going to be looking for almost certainly is, is those wonderful things, personal guarantees. And we might touch on personal guarantees and ILAs uh, in, the, in the future. Uh, Kathy asked a question, can you only have one debenture on an SPV? Yes, yeah. Um, I, mean, I suppose in theory you could have, you could have other um, second-tier debentures, but they, we're talking about very complex. So I'd say absolutely there's only one debenture on, on any one company. But there are different ways of structuring, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that uh, maybe in, in future, uh, future episodes. So you can see structuring is really important, and I can't begin to stress how important it is to make sure you've got your structure, your fundraising, your, your own economic equation uh, for your business at heart, as well as the experience of the investors. They all need to come together. Um, and as you predicted, Nigel, this is going to go into a third week because we were only down to S, security. We've still got engagement and draw. Yeah, I think in fairness, Mark, I think it needs the time as well, you know, because it is a very important part of what, we do, and you know, fundraising is 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 a key part, uh, absolutely. And and I, and I think I would just probably add um, one one point as well that, in terms of uh, your investors and in terms of you know you and your business partners, etc. Within any one SPV, it's all about the directorship. Um, so this is why it's really important to to start with the end in mind, really understand what the strategy of the, um, you know, the, the development, the project is, you know, from the, from the outturn. So is it, is it a complete disposal? You know, you're going to sell all the assets and that's it. And then it's just a distribution of profits or a payment of um, an interest rate for the investor's money. Um, <clears throat> is it, we're going to hold, okay? So we're going to hold for the long term. Um, you know, that, that being the case, that's absolutely fine. Or is it maybe a hybrid whereby, you know, you are holding some, but you're also selling some. It's that sort of thing. And, and the reason I make the point around directorship is if, if there is a view that you want to hold for the long term, that a lot of, we're coming across a lot of the, um, uh, the buy-to-let type lenders on the back end, they, they have a limitation of directors within their products. And, it, and it's to four four directors okay so you just need to be mindful of that you know if if investors are coming in you know they're obviously getting their security by whatever means one could be in their mind a directorship you know uh, as part of their security package so it's just something to think about because if you end up on the board with six people you know but the strategy is buy develop and hold so therefore you're bringing those by you know, those biologists in, it's absolutely imperative that there's an agreement amongst the parties that two directors will be resigning. 
you know, to, to enable that product to, to move forward. Yeah, no, great, great point, Nigel. So uh, we'll, we'll go through engagement and draw, which are just as important. Um, and in fact, once you're in the development, they're absolutely pivotal. So a couple of surprises there, something that you probably won't be expecting there, but super important. So we'll go through those next Wednesday. Um, just one announcement, we're, we're closing, we're almost full, we're closing the intake of our um, ECRA mentorship at the end of October um, for our autumn intake, and then you'll have to wait till January. So drop us a line if you're interested in ECRA Academy, Facebook message me, um, and uh, or just put uh, uh, mentorship um, in the notes and, and we'll come back to you in the chat box. Um, so end of end of October is the absolute cutoff for our autumn intake. And uh, for those of you who've also seen, we've now just launched our earn and learn option as well. So we're going to be uh, focusing on the the earn and learn as well during during November, which is typically for for SaaS trustees. So, so that's going to be uh, really exciting as well. So mm-hmm. lots planned and. Um, Lots of activity in the uh, in the marketplace for us, Nigel. It's going to be a very very interesting week. So so, <laughs> yeah, good. Okay, so well, already that brings us to an end of yet another breakfast with Nigel and Mark. We really really appreciate your feedback. You know, we do this because we actually really enjoy it, um, but we want to make it topical for you. You know, it's really important. So if you go to the Equa Academy Facebook group. And just drop a post in there, say what you, what you enjoyed about today, um, what you would like to see in the future. And uh, we look at every single post. We look at every single comment. Um, we will help shape those those questions there for you. So we picked up a few of your questions um, during the course of today. So have an absolutely fantastic week. And we're going to be seeing you next Wednesday at 8 o'clock. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Property Portfolio Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode and that it inspired you on the next leg of your journey. If you've got any questions or comments, why not reach out to us at our Facebook page, Equa Academy. Also, don't forget to register for free access to hundreds of property development videos and templates over at equaacademy.co.uk and we'll see you in next week's episode. Thank you.